Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Tonight, I want to invite you to go to Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. While you're turning there, I want to mention that there's a book in the back called Winks from Scripture. Someone looked at the title and they said, I don't, it's, it's W-N-K-S from Scripture? What, what is that? It's, no, that's, an, that's supposed to be an I. Wings from Scripture. <laughs> I've learned in the process of my journey that what God is doing is often done behind the scenes in a very subtle way. A good joke, good humor is not always in your face, but it's, it's subtle. If I have to explain to you the joke, right. it's not a good joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'll dawn on you eventually. And sometimes, have you ever, has someone ever, uh, uh, oh, I'll tell you this. I have had, I should say, a landlord, and his email was the weirdest email ever. And he was an Asian man, and I did not understand the email. And yesterday, I'm cleaning out my contacts because he's not my landlord anymore. And after 10 years of knowing him, it dawned on me that his, it, it was this weird B something something. His email spells B Neva Wong. His last name is Wong. B Neva Wong. And, and I'm on the plane because you have nothing to do. I didn't want to buy the $30 Wi-Fi. I'm cleaning up my contacts. And it dawned on me. Oh, my God. B Neva Wong. I, his last name is Wong. He's, he's always right. I get it. <laughs> I'm really blonde under all this dark hair. I'm joking. Sorry to the blondes here. My mom's a blonde, so I can joke with you about it. I think that's how God, his reality in our life is sometimes. Later on down the road, it dawns on us, ah, he was there the whole time. And that's what he was doing in that moment, the subtle work of God. So I want to encourage you with this. Whose favorite color is yellow? Raise your hand. All the way in the back with your hand up. All the way in the very back with the blonde. Yep, can you run that book to her? She gets that because her favorite color is yellow. If you, don't, if you don't like the book, at least you'll like the cover of the book, hopefully. Are you ready for the word tonight? Yes, yes. Philippians chapter 1. Excuse me, Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12. We're going to learn a little more Greek. Can we learn some Greek tonight? Would that be okay? Okay, all right. Therefore... My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now. Not only as my presence and in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God, not G-O-D, we're Pentecostals, G-A-W-D, God, who works in you, both to will and to work 
for his good pleasure. If I could title this message tonight, I want to entitle it after a prayer. And this is the prayer. Lord, help me to get over myself. Picture yourself in the mirror, staring at the one who has caused you the most pain, the most trouble, and is responsible for the biggest problems in your life. And you pray this prayer. Lord, help me to get over myself. All of my quirks, all of those things my counselor knows about, hopefully all of those things that hopefully you're not airing out online and talking about constantly, you will when you get, you'll stop when you get some emotional maturity, amen? But all those things, those, those things that you're, best friend knows about and you don't want them to tell anybody. Lord, help me to get over those things because those things are the things that are killing me the most and causing my heart to break the deepest. Now, there's a lot to get over when I look at the mirror and pray that prayer. There's a lot to get over in myself. And one of the biggest things that I have to deal with is something called OCD. Is anybody here, don't make a bad confession of faith in the house of the Lord, but how many know a little bit about what OCD is like? Anybody here? Somebody had two hands up. They said, I know what all that is about. OCD can be minor, but OCD can really cause you some trouble. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. My life is my laptop. I'm a professor. I teach. I write books. I live my life. I live my life behind my laptop, clicking away. And last year, I did the ultimate unthinkable. I spilled coffee in it. I did. And I had an interview coming up with one of the, uh, the best top scholars in the nation. And, and right before the interview, I was so in a hurry to come up with questions, I tripped and knocked my coffee into the keyboard, and it shorted out, and it died. So $1,800, and a week later, I had a new one, and it became my most precious possession. And a couple of weeks ago, I'm working on my thesis, and I was in a public library, and I took it to the restroom, and while I'm using the restroom, I heard a crash, and my laptop had smashed on the ground. I pick it up. I look at it like, you know, I don't have any kids, so this is the closest thing I know to having a child. Are you okay? Is there damage? What's wrong? Where are you scraped? Do you need a Band-Aid? Let daddy kiss your boo-boo. Took it to the eye store. They said, Mr. Palmer, we're so glad you brought this in. We're going to take it back in the ER. We'll let you know how it is in just a second. They ran diagnostics on it. They said, this thing is fine. There's no damage to the hard drive. There's no damage to the, it's totally fine. But there's a scratch the size of my thumbnail on one of the plates. And I said, can you do anything about the scratch? He says, no, I'm sorry. It'll be bent the rest of its life. I said, certainly there's something you can do to fix it. He said, we can fix it, but it'll cost 
$8 to do it. And I came into an existential crisis. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's $168. What do I do? And I said to the guy, what should I do? And he says, I'm not you. I don't know what you should do. But I have another appointment coming in, so you have to think quick. And I said, I can live with it. So I took it back to my house. And I went to bed that night. And it was like that scratch was staring at me from the other side of the room. It's like that scratch was saying to me, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And I started having thoughts. Well, I can get rid of it in the next three years after I get a new laptop. I'll be 41 then. So I paced the floor and I called home. My parents said, how are you? And I said, I'm not doing well. What's wrong? Are you sick? Did you get a bad doctor's report? No, my laptop has a scratch on it and I don't know if I should repair it or not. My dad being a man of wisdom said to me, look at it like this. You pay the $168 not to fix the scratch, but to keep you from going crazy. So I took the laptop back to the Mac store and the guy saw me and I saw him. And he said, you look familiar. And I said, I was here. And he said, oh, the guy with the scratch. I said, yeah, he goes, it got the best of you. I said, it got the best of me. Here's the money, now fix it. <laughs> Needless to say, my laptop has given me no trouble for the last couple of days. Now it's a funny story, but if you can relate, think about somebody who has this kind of perfectionistic personality when they really make a mistake. I'm not talking about scratching a laptop. Yeah. I'm talking about robbing a bank. I'm joking. <laughs> Getting in the getaway car. <laughs> but a mistake. Yeah. People that have dysfunction and can't forgive themselves yeah. can put themselves in prison for years yeah. and not throw away the key. Excuse me and throw away the key yeah. and keep themselves locked in that prison mewling over what could have been yeah. and what should have been. I should have said this. I shouldn't have done that. The grass is always greener on the other side and you replay the scenario over and over and over and over. And there's no max store. Yeah. There's no $168. You are stuck the rest of your life with what seems to be irreparable damage. And if you don't have the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will drive yourself nuts. You'll find ways of overcompensating. You will find crutches. You will go to substances. You will develop addictions. You will develop further into all sorts of personality complexes deep within you until 
You ask the Holy Spirit, come in here and free me from this bondage that I'm holding myself in. Are you with me tonight? Tonight, let's believe God to set us free from the dungeon, the dungeon of being unable to forgive ourselves. It says that God is able and he works in you to will and do his good work. Now, the Philippian church was a mess. They were a good church. They were Paul's probably his favorite church. He writes the most favorably about them. But by the time he gets to chapter 2, they're in a mess, Pastor Nicole. They're arguing. They're fighting. There's divisions. There's the right side versus the left side. There's the blue corner, and there's the red corner. And Paul's telling them, get it together. Get it together. Stop arguing. I left you and you started acting like a bunch of kids. You know when you leave the kids at home, what the kids start doing? They start tearing off the cow's cushions. They start beating each other up. And this is the Philippian church. They're acting like a bunch of adolescents. And Paul says, get it together and you have no excuse because the one that helps you to get it together gives you the initiative to get it together and works in you to accomplish the getting together. Now the Greek word, I know, you're waiting for the Greek, aren't you? You're ready. How many people went and had euros after lunch, for lunch today because we were talking about Greek? You went to the Mediterranean restaurant. Is the word Aragon, and it's the word to work. Write that down, Aragon, Aragon, E-R-G-O-N, Aragon. I was preaching at a conference in California a couple weeks ago, and the guy said to me, None of us here know Greek. We're just going to have to take your word for it. You could be lying to us about all this stuff. (laughs) I said, that's the beauty part. That's actually the greatest thing is I can pull one over on you. Now, the important thing about this is the the definition means to to accomplish something, to to generate power. It means to to, to ability, the ability to do something. But but it's, it's found in a tense called the present continuous tense which means that this isn't a one-time thing this isn't something that happens on monday but it doesn't happen on tuesday it's something that that starts and then it continues forward it starts and it continues forward so in other words he's saying here he's the god that keeps on working he keeps on working he he keeps on working and working and working he doesn't stop and he doesn't turn himself out he keeps going now at theosu we have a studio we have a headquarters and we have a guy that works for us who has a tendency to always leave the lights on in the studio and one day he went out of town and we weren't filming for about a week and a half two weeks And I had to go to the studio for something. And I opened up the door and the studio lights were on. And he's the one that knows how to turn them on and how to turn them off. They had been on for two weeks, just burning and burning. My initial thought was, someone's going to be in trouble. My second thought was, I wonder how much this bill is going to cost. My third thought was, dang, these things know how to burn. 
just kept going and going and going and going. And, and, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit that can work in your life to help you overcome those challenges and those difficulties that are, that are driving you insane. Now, I want to read to you something from Harvard Business Review. Give me one second, and this is what it says. Harvard Business Review said, there is growing evidence that the increase in psychological ill health of people may stem from excessive standards that they hold for themselves and the harsh punishment that they constantly are engaging in. Increasingly in our society, people hold irrational ideals for themselves, ideals that manifest in unrealistic expectations for both academic and professional achievement, how they should look, what they should own, who they should be with. Young people are internalizing a preeminent contemporary myth that all things, including themselves, should be perfect and that they shouldn't make any mistakes. Those who become preoccupied with it inevitably set themselves up for failure and psychological turmoil. They become obsessed with winning the validation of others. They ruminate chronically about their imperfections, their mistakes, and their failures, and brood over what could have been and should have been and experience anxiety, shame, and guilt about their personal inadequacies and their unworthiness. The increase in socially prescribed perfectionism makes a compelling backdrop for almost epidemic levels of serious mental illness in people. I bet there's at least one person here tonight that understands what this is talking about. But the news is, is that we're not of the world. That you've been given the Holy Spirit and his spirit in you is working, is working, and is not gonna stop until you've been released from those dysfunctions that hold you in bondage at this very moment. Tonight, God, if he already hasn't, is gonna initiate the process in your life so you can be totally free by the power of the Holy Spirit. Say amen if you believe it tonight. Go with me now to the book of Matthew. Let's go to the book of Matthew. Now we started talking about this earlier today. Matthew chapter 10. We were talking about the disciples and if you weren't here today in their early session, I made a bold claim and I said the disciples are often people that we want to be like. I want to be like Peter. The boldness of Peter. I know he didn't get it right a lot, but he was bold. I want to be like John. I want to love Jesus the way John loved Jesus. 
Oh, I want to be like Bartholomew. I want to be like Philip. Oh, no guile was found in him. Oh, I want to be the disciples. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> if you think that way, I wonder if you've ever read the Gospels. Because the Gospels are almost like a treaty in how not to follow Jesus. <laughs> I said this morning, the disciples are like California beachcombers who are in outer space. They're not paying attention to anything you had to, to Jesus had to say. And if they drove around, they'd drive around in a Volkswagen Beetle with a surfboard on top. Did you say more? Someone was listening today. I know. You remember that Chris Palmer? Yeah, the guy who called us all morons. Yeah, I remember him. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus, well, let's read it. You all went and looked at scripture. We should probably read that. We should probably read some scripture here today, right? It says, and he called his 12 disciples and he gave them authority and un over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every disease and every affliction. And we read this scripture and we think, wow, wouldn't that be something? If only I could have been there with Jesus, he would have given me authority. <laughs> if only I could have been there on that day when he sent them out, he would have put authority in my hands. I would have cast out devils. I would have cast out, if only I could walk with Jesus. If only I could have been there with him. The irony in Matthew's story is that after he gives them power, you never see him withdraw it, do you? Immediately after that, I'm not going to go to these verses, the story begins to get told that Jesus is multiplying fishes and loaves or wants to feed all these people. The first time he tells his disciples to do it, and they look at Jesus like, how are we supposed to do this? Right. Remember Back to the Future at McFly? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody home? Anybody home, McFly? He gave him the authority. Well, they get it wrong. Jesus has to do it and call them those of unbelieving heart. And then he does it again. And they still can't figure it out. And they act just as astonished. The ones he's empowered keep making the same mistakes. Then Jesus is like, you know what? I've had it. I've had it. I'm going up to this mountain and I've had it. Goes up to the mountain of transfiguration. Yeah. Praise in Luke's gospel to be how long, Jesus prays in Luke's gospel, how much longer did I got to be here on the earth? One scholar said he's griping, how much longer do I have to put up with these morons? <laughs> and to make matters worse, he comes down and he hears a commotion. And there's a man who's griping because the disciples that Jesus told they have power to cast out devils can't do it. Right? That's like telling your kid, take out the trash. And he's 15, full grown, varsity football player, right here in Allen, Texas, the star linebacker. And he tells you, I don't know how. It's too heavy. Can you imagine how you'd feel? My son is pushing people around on the football field, but he can't handle taking out the trash. Right, right. Jesus is, I can't, it's a good thing I'm not Jesus because I'd have acted differently. 
Good thing I'm not God. And then in his darkest hour, his darkest hour, they fall asleep. Peter leaves them. Nowhere to be found are the 12 that he called. It seems like they failed him. Guess what? They did. But the irony of this story, if you look, is something that gets pointed out, and that is you see this Greek construction. If you read it in Greek, it starts to stick out to you because it's a, it's, it just stands out. It's emphatic in the Greek. Say this with me. Are you ready? Say, auto. Mathetai. Look at you guys speaking Greek. Give yourself a round of applause tonight. <laughs> this term auto mathetai is used not once, not twice, not three times. It is used in Matthew a total of 25 times throughout the gospel. By the end of the gospel, you're thinking, this is rare. But what does it mean? Go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. This is sure to encourage you, at least I hope. Verse number 12. Matthew 28. Actually, we'll go to verse number 7. That's where we'll go. Verse number 7. Then go quickly and tell. This is the angel talking. Then go quickly and tell. Now, here it is. His disciples. Go quickly and tell. Say this with me. His disciples. Now say, Auto. Mathetai. Alto, Mathetai, his disciples. 25 times in Matthew's gospel, the disciples are called his disciples. It almost becomes so redundant, it becomes ridiculous that Matthew refers to the disciples as his disciples. His disciples, not the disciples, not a disciple, not someone's disciples. Not Jesus' disciples, his disciples. Because in calling him that, he is referring to possession. Yes. Wow. Yes. I'll put it to you like this. Possession means who's responsible for these disciples. In their darkest hour, in their biggest mistakes, Jesus never fails to have the oversight and to take responsibility for the one that he called and the one that he chose and the one that he empowered and the one that he placed his grace upon. When God calls you to do something, you can make a mistake and another mistake and another mistake, but he is not going to abandon you. As long as you don't abandon him, as long as you don't walk away from him, as long as you don't denounce him, if you keep coming to him, he's going to remind you, I called you, I chose you, we can do this, I'm going to help you, I'm going to get you through this, I'm going to enable you to overcome, you are my disciple. 
If that's the case, then I posit to you tonight that your success as a disciple has much more to do with his faithfulness to you than your faithfulness to him. If it was depending on your faithfulness to him, you'd have been passed over a long time ago. But thank God that even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful to us. God hasn't given up on you in your mistakes. In your perfectionism, he doesn't turn his back on you. He is here in this moment to help you. You ought to look at yourself and say, I can forgive myself because I'm still his. I can offer myself forgiveness because even in my, my mistake, I am his. Turn to your neighbor and say, you belong to him. I belong to him. Glory to God. His disciples. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15. I'll start to close in just a second, and then I want to pray for people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's go to the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was, we, we go and drive around the city, and we see all kinds of churches that say, St. Paul's Cathedral. St. Paul's, you know, missionary thing. St. Paul's this, St. Paul's that, St. Paul's church, St. Paul's whatever. And that, that puts inside of us sort of a mentality that the Apostle Paul was the great Apostle Paul. He's the great Apostle Paul. But back in the first century, Paul wasn't considered the great Apostle Paul. For those that liked Paul, he was maybe the greatest amongst equals, but he was disliked everywhere he went. And in 2 Corinthians, he writes this apologetic about how his credentials do the math that he is a credentialed and legitimate apostle. But in 1 Corinthians, he, he starts to make a case about why he can be trusted as an apostle. And he says in verse number eight about himself, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. The Apostle Paul says that he is one who is untimely, untimely born. Can I give you another Greek word? Are you tired of Greek words yet? Like I wrote a whole like three books on it, so I got to use my material somewhere, okay? So I could... <laughs> this word untimely means to have birth defects. Wow. It means to be born illegitimately. And it's equated with the term abortion. Because in the first century, when you had birth defects and you came out of the womb, they were so barbaric and so sinful and so without Judeo-Christian principles that they felt no remorse for getting rid of a child that had birth defects because they didn't understand life the way yeah. that Christians understood life or value it. So one untimely born meant somebody that had so many birth defects that it made sense to the Romans to abort them. Paul wasn't good looking because he wasn't Italian. <laughs> uh -huh. 
Paul didn't talk very well. Did you know that they used to accuse Paul of stealing money from the churches? Did anybody know that? If you follow the story in 2 Corinthians, you will find that he was accused by the super apostles of pocketing the money that was being taken up for the collection in the church of Jerusalem. He was constantly accused of scandal. Accused of scandal. Poor speaker. Nobody was, you know what? I'd say it like this. Paul had the morning sessions at the conferences. <laughs> no, wait a second. He had that he had that he had the after lunch session. And you know if you know if you get to two o'clock, what they think of you right off the bat, yeah. Oh, you got the two o'clock in the evening. No, just the two o'clock. Okay, I gotcha, I gotcha, okay. We're gonna just vet him and make sure he's not crazy. Maybe we'll give you an evening if you don't screw it up at the two o'clock. But Paul said, keep reading, I'll, I'll read it to you. Verse number 10. But how did Paul accomplish? How did he build the biggest churches? How did he, how did he disciple so many people? 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, now, now mark this word, his grace toward me. Someone say toward me. Now, that's a very important word. That's a preposition. Mark that word and hold your place. The grace that was toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is, that is with me. Mark that word with. You find two prepositions right here. Toward and with. Toward and with. Toward and with. Say toward, toward. and with. Tanner, I need to use you as an example. So why don't you stand up here? Okay. I know some people don't like sermon illustrations. Well, tough. You're getting one tonight. <laughs> this is Tanner. Tanner's going to represent the Apostle Paul. Now, Apostle Paul, before he was enabled by the Spirit, he was a mess. Now, Tanner's not a mess. He's got it together. This guy's got it together. But let's just pretend for a minute that he's Paul. He's killing Christians. None of you have killed any Christians. I hope not. If you have, I'm calling the FBI. I mean, that's pretty bad stuff right there. What did you do before Christ? Well, you know, I used to cheat. What did you do? I used to steal. What did you do? I used to stone Christians. But something, something happened. First of all, in all of his mistakes, God called Paul. Paul, I know you're a murderer, and I know you're killing my best guys down there. Paul wasn't just killing nobody. He killed Stephen, oversaw his death. Stephen was like Commander Stephen. He's like Lieutenant Stephen, and Paul took him out, sniped him. And then God's like, hmm, what am I going to do to get him back? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to call him to serve me. Let him know. I could have just taken Paul off the scenes, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call him to serve me and show him the irony 
of my love and what I'm able to accomplish. But how did God do it? You may have not killed Christians, but you may have hurt somebody. You may have broke someone's heart. You, you, may have, you may have ruined your life. You may have ruined somebody else's life, but I got news for you. You're here today because God's gonna do something and he's gonna pull a trick on you and he's gonna call you by his grace and he's gonna empower you to show everyone around you just how wonderful he is. So the grace of God is toward Paul. Remember that word toward? That's the Greek word. We would spell it in English, E-I-S, ace. Paul's gonna personify grace. You know what it means to personify something? There's a Seinfeld episode. I don't watch that show. <laughs> but there's an episode where George Costanza, he's, he's trying to write a novel and he can't get past the first line and it's, the sea was angry. The sea was angry and it becomes a joke in the show. The sea was angry. Well, well, <laughs> That's personification. The, the water doesn't get angry, but you're making it like a human. Then you see the waves, it gets angry. The Bible does this all the time with everything. It just personifies stuff. And, and grace is being personified here. And so grace is gonna become like a human being. The grace of God was toward me. So all of a sudden you see grace and it's like grace is getting called, hey, grace, go towards that guy who's been killing all my people. And suddenly grace, yes, sir about face, meets Paul on the, road, on the road to Damascus, knocks him off his horse. Grace shows up in the person of Jesus. Paul looks up and says, Lord, who are thou? Paul, why do you persecute me? He goes to Ananias' house. We know the story. And now grace has been sent toward Paul. But now that grace is toward Paul, Paul says something different about it. He doesn't say the grace that's toward me. He said the grace of God that is with me because it's already been sent towards them. Now it's, now it's soon, it's with them. We learned about that word today. That means to form a partnership with somebody, to get, in, get into agreement with somebody. It's like, shake hands. Hi, I'm Grace, what's your name? Paul, Paul, I'm Grace, nice to meet you. Listen, what's about to happen in your life is gonna be crazy. You're gonna be sent all over the place. You're gonna go to lands you never thought possible. You're gonna, you're gonna get beat up, you're gonna get shipwrecked, people are gonna make fun of you, you're gonna endure scandal, but you're gonna build churches, you're gonna write letters, you're gonna heal the sick, you're gonna cast out devils, you're gonna get thrown off of a ship, a night and a day you're gonna spend in the sea, but guess what? You are gonna make it to Rome, you're gonna stand before Caesar despite all of your imperfections and it's because of me. Wow. Nice to have you on the team. The grace of God that is with them. And the book of Acts becomes a story of Paul going all the way from Jerusalem. You, ever, you guys, you know, what, you know what the book of Acts, someone says, illustrate to me the book of Acts. You guys remember the game Frogger? Yes. You try to cross the street. And those cars are ducking. It's like, dun, 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 dun. this is the Apostle Paul going from Jerusalem to Rome, like Frogger, like this. And Grace is like, okay, here's a truck coming. Okay, you, you got, Paul gets beat up, stoned outside the city, then goes back into the city. Wow. Grace is like, yeah, get up. We'll go back to the city now. The grace of God that is, thanks, Tana. You can have a seat. The grace of God that is, that is with me. I got news for you tonight. You've made mistakes. You've failed. God doesn't want you to hold on to those things. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.